Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, uh, through chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be uh, in your house today with your people, God, to be gathered with Bibles in our laps, and uh, Father, to, to think about the great realities of salvation. Uh, Father, we thank you that when you save us, you not only uh, save us from the penalty of our sin, but you save us from a life of sin. And Father, I pray that we would live that out, that we would be new creatures in Christ, new creations. God, I pray that you would enable us today through the Word of God and through the power of your Spirit to put on the new man and to put off the old man. Father, I thank you so much for just a great week of ministry. God, I just give you praise for uh, the, the moving of your Spirit among our students and our sponsors at Falls Creek. I thank you for uh, just yesterday, just a great day of fellowship with, with men and service to uh, uh, our sister in Christ. Uh, Father, we thank you for, uh, for the church and the people of God uh, gathered today. Father, we love you and we pray that you would work and, and, and illuminate and, and reveal to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the whole last month or month and a half or so, we've been unpacking this whole principle of, 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 of putting on the new man, putting off the old man. When a person is born again, uh, we saw in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that all these incredible things happen on the inside and in the heavenly places, right? Uh, we saw things like being forgiven of your sins, like the cross of Jesus Christ, His substitutionary death being applied to your life so that your sins are placed on the cross and He dies in your place and His righteousness is imputed into your account. It's given into your life. We talked about being in the family of God, being forgiven, uh, being predestined to be holy and blameless. We talked about union with Christ, being joined to Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. We talked about being indwelt with the Spirit of God. All these incredible things that happen on the inside of a believer that happen in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms that will be eternally seen forever and ever. And we talked about that all of those things produce clear and undeniable changes and marks upon our life on the outside, okay? In other words, all these incredible things happen in salvation on the inside of a believer, and that produces a change on the outside of a believer. And here's the great news today, and the great news we've been looking at every day for the last month or so. If you are a born-again believer, you will change. Isn't that good? You'll change. And, and I think that's going to be sweet news to, you, to, to those of you who love God, because you know what? If you love God, you don't want to sin. Isn't that right? You don't want to sin. You really don't want to live that way. You don't want to stay that way. You don't want to be the person that you were. You want to be somebody different. I mean, that's, that's a mark of a believer is that you have, you have new desires. You have a changed life and that you say, you know what? I don't want to live that way. I don't want to keep doing those things. I want to be different. And, and we become different through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul describes this change as a renewal of the mind. Remember in 
Chapter 4, verse 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I mean, I mean, this change starts at the very depth of the way that we think. The way that we think about life and about each other and about, about, about love and about relationships and about anger and about words and about job and about money and about everything. God changes the way that we think. He changes the way that we feel. We're no longer bound to these deceitful desires. And he moves that out into changing the practical daily workings of our life so that we literally put off the old man and we put on a new man. We put off falsehood and we put on truth. We put off destructive anger and we put on dealing with your anger in a holy and a righteous way. We put off stealing and coveting and loving money and we put on generosity and sharing and giving. We put off words that hurt people and tear them down and we start to speak words that that build others up. And in every part of our life, every area of our life, we're putting off the old man and putting on the new man and now verse 30 kind of leads leads us to this, this critical point where we got to ask this question, what if, what if that's not happening in your life? See, that's a good question, isn't it? You know, as we talk about what it means to be a believer, and, and maybe there are people in this room and you say, well, I, you know, I, I believe that I'm a Christian, and, and I would say that I am a follower of Jesus. And I would even say that those things you talked about in chapters 1, 2, and 3, those have happened in me. I would tell you that, that I put my faith in Christ and so, so the Spirit of God lives inside of me and, and I'm, in, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I would say that I'm joined to Jesus Christ, that I'm forgiven of my sins, that my sins are on the cross and, and Jesus' death is paid for them. I would say those things about myself. But as you look at your life on the outside, if you're honest, you'd have to say, you know what, but I don't know that I don't know that that stuff's happening in me. I don't know that I'm, I'm a different person than I was. I don't know that I'm, I'm putting off all these things and I'm putting on someone new. I don't know that that's happening to me. And, and if that's where you're at today, I mean, honestly, if you look at your life and you say, you know what, I, I'm not changing. I'm not becoming different. I'm not putting on a new man. You know what? There's a couple possibilities and both of them are scary. Okay. Number one, it could be that you're simply in a pattern of disobedience in your life, okay? You're you're at a spot in your life, and here's what the Bible says. You won't stay there if you're a born-again believer, okay? You won't just live there. First John's very clear that you're you're not going to live a habitual life of disobedience and dishonoring and rebellion against God if you're a believer. God's going to change that. He's going to work in the Spirit of God to move you out of that. But it could be that you're in a spot. You're you're in a month. You're in a year. You're in a... I I don't even want to begin to put a time period on it. I don't know how long it can last. But you're in a time of your life where you're in in a spot of disobedience and rebellion against the Lord. You're believing these deceitful desires that verse 22 talked about said to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You're believing that a certain kind of life is going to be a blessing to you, and it's a lie, okay? But you've fallen into this pattern, okay? And, and it could be that simply you need to repent today. That, that today, that the Word of God needs to shake you out of that foolishness, and you need to remember who you are in Jesus Christ, and what He's done in you, and for you, and will do. And, and it could be that today that, that, that God is moving you out of that. Okay, so it could be you're in a pattern of disobedience. It could also be that you simply aren't truly a child of God. I mean, that, that, that's very possible. That was possible in my life. I thought I was saved for, for 10 years or so growing up, and, and I really wasn't. 
I mean, I had said some, some things and I'd, I'd been baptized, but, but these things that, that Paul talks about in chapters 1, 2, and 3 had not happened in my life. The, the Spirit of God was not in me and, and I was not a new creature in Christ and, and the blood of Jesus had not cleansed me from my sins. Those things hadn't happened in me. And folks, if that's the case in your life, listen, that's a big deal. I cannot stress to you how urgent that is for you today to to deal with that reality that there's something not right in your soul. I mean, you're under the judgment of God. God's wrath hangs over you, ready at any moment to be unleashed with all the power of the universe, never to relent, never to subside. That's a big deal. And so so if you look at your life today and there's something, something not right, it does not match Ephesians 4. We we got to you got to deal with that. Now let's flip back. If it's a pattern of disobedience, maybe there's just some stuff in your life, and you're in a bad spot, and you've wandered away from the Lord, and you don't have any accountability, and and you've you've not been in the Word, and just things have happened, and, and it's kind of put you in a pattern of disobedience, and you're a believer. You, you know, here, here's what I would say about that. People always, always ask the questions like, well, you know, can you live that way? And I, I've already told you, First John says you can't live that way habitually. I don't think you can live that way for him. No, I don't think so. Can you live that way for a little while? Yeah, probably. But, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like shifting without your clutch, you know. I mean, it, it will kind of work, but you're going to tear everything up, you know. And, and, I mean, you're going to grind everything. Your, your life's going to be torn up by, by, by living in disobedience to your heavenly Father. Uh, it just it just doesn't measure up to be filled with the Spirit of God, but not resemble Christ. To be adopted into the family of God, but not look like God's family. It, to, to belong to the one who is truth, but often lie. Folks, if you're, if you're living in, in, in a way where you say, look, I know God's anger has been turned away from me, but you know what? I am angry at all these other people and I'm not relenting. If God has poured out his riches on you, but you won't pour out your riches on anybody else. If God's spoken peace into your life, but your word constantly tear people down that there's something wrong with that that that's a serious thing it's serious for a couple different reasons number one you are lacking the key evidence that says you're a believer i mean god is god has changed us for one of the reasons is of course for his glory that's that's the big reason but one of the other reasons is just evidence i mean when god saves somebody he puts his mark on them and First John says, we know that we know that, that, that we're, we belong to Him because of these reasons, you know, because we're obedient and, and God's changed us and we love our brother and we're connected to the church and we're living out our faith. I, I mean, those are the evidence that, 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 that you're born again, that, that Christ lives in, in, in you. It, it's serious because, you know what, living in sin destroys Sin has consequences. A verse we look at all the time here at Lincoln is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, the flesh is that old self. That, that's that thing you're supposed to be putting off. Okay? But if you sow to your own flesh, you'll reap from the flesh corruption. You'll go from better to worse. Your life will go from better to worse. That's what corruption means. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Folks, it's serious to live in sin. But you know what? Maybe the biggest thing, and this is where our passage leads us today. It's serious to be in a pattern of disobedience in your life, for your life not to look like this, what Ephesians is describing, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And it's serious because verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. When a born-again believer lives in sin, he is grieving the Spirit of God. 
Now, what does that mean? Okay? What does that mean? Well, we know what it means to grieve, right? We we, we understand what that that word means to inflict sorrow, to cause pain, to cause sadness, to cause distress. Uh, I mean, we we understand what it is to to be grieved, to grieve somebody. I mean, when someone hurts your kid, you ever had that happen before? When someone hurts your kid, that's a grieving thing, isn't it? I mean, it's just kind of one of those deals where it just twists you on the inside. I mean, it it bothers you deep down. That's what that word grieve means. It's to inflict this sorrow, this pain, okay? When, when you lose somebody you love, that we use that word all the time, right? When there's a death. So somebody loses their spouse, somebody loses their dad or their mom. And, and how's that described? It's a grieving thing. It, it's a painful thing on the inside of a person, okay? When you've got some painful disease that racks your body, you, that, that's a grieving thing. And, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's the third member of the Trinity, equal in every way with God, the Father, God, the Son and God the Holy Spirit, but yet there is a personal aspect to the Trinity in which God the Holy Spirit grieves, okay? And He grieves not not because of physical pain. God doesn't have physical pain. The Spirit of God doesn't have physical pain. God God doesn't grieve because He's depressed or He's in despair or He's hopeless. That never happens in the Trinity. But God grieves when we Grieve Him through our actions. When born again believers, His children, those in the family of God, those whom His Spirit dwells, we grieve Him through our rebellion. Sin is is an offense. It's an attack on God. Every sin is. You say, well, my sin was against so-and-so. It wasn't against God. It it was against God. Psalm 51 says, every sin is against God. Okay? And here's the thing about the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, that's not true of you. But but if you are, if you're a follower of Christ, and one of the things that's happened to you is the Spirit of God has come to dwell inside of you. That's a big deal. Listen to this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, He who is joined to the Lord, there's that union with Christ, okay, becomes one spirit with Him. Verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Man, I don't know if we'll ever be able to get our heads around that. You know, I, if you're here and, and you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably know, yes, I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I'm indwelt with the Spirit of God. But man, can you really get your head around that the God of the universe has made His home inside of you? You're a temple. Oh, that's what that says. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that has all kinds of implications. We'll look at some of them next week when, when we look at sexual morality. But if I'll just jump ahead here, and I don't think we have this on the screen, but uh, in 1 Corinthians six fifteen. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? She's talking about sexual morality. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? I, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's an image there and a principle there that I can't hardly get my head around. The fact that the Spirit of God lives in me. And so what I do with my body, I, it doesn't cause God to sin. No, no. But, but there's a grieving element there that, that almost says, you're dragging God into this. That's a big deal. You know, when you think about being grieved or grieving, who, who is it that you would... There are people in your life that you would hate to grieve, isn't there? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said something kind of just flippantly? I mean, you didn't realize you, you hurt somebody's feelings. And that, man, it just it cut you deep because you really care about them, you know? I mean, there's probably people in this room you don't want to hurt. You just really respect them. You love them. You know, uh, there's five people in your family and, and your spouse and your kids. 
Uh, you, you don't want to hurt them. You know, and there's been times in your life where you have and, and you did something that really hurt your family or hurt your kids. You know, and, and there, there, there's, a, there's a difficulty there inside of you because you don't want to do that. Here's my point with that. Folks, we don't enjoy grieving those we love, right? That's true, isn't it? Please tell me that's true about you. You know, uh, it is, right? We don't enjoy that. I mean, that's not a good thing. We don't want to do that. We avoid that. You, you avoid deeply hurting those that, that, that you love. Well, folks, especially those who've showed extraordinary kindness to you. You know, when you think about the people in your life, the people in your life that give to you constantly, the people in your life that have shown great kindness to you, the people in your life that you really, you, you really been helped by, they've stood by you, they, they've been there for you, they've invested in you in a big way. Let me tell you, do you want to hurt those people? Do you want to consciously and intentionally, knowingly hurt them and grieve them and distress them and cause them pain? You don't want to do that. Well, well let, let's, let's apply this to our passage, okay? No one has been better to you than God. If you believe the gospel, then you have to believe that. Okay? I mean, if you've embraced the gospel, then you've got to say, that's true, Pastor. Nobody, nobody, nobody has been kinder and better and invested in and loved me more than God. And so doesn't it make sense that that would bother a believer to grieve the Spirit of God? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm going with this? You know, when, when we talk about living in rebellion, there's, there's all kinds of reasons why, why we, we, we shouldn't want to be there. We shouldn't want to live in sin. We shouldn't want to, want to have this old self just, just living out our lives. You know, because of the evidence of the Spirit of God, because of, of sin as consequences. But you know what, what ought to trump all of those? If we love God, then we ought to have a hard time getting up every morning and inflicting pain upon Him. I, we would say that, wouldn't we? I mean, if I tell you I love my wife, and at the same time I get up every morning and I hurt her, I, I, I tear her down, I say mean things to her, I inflict them up. I mean, if I did that every day and then try to convince you, man, I really love her. You say, man, you're, you're, you're messed up, dude. I mean, isn't that what you'd say? Say, yeah, there's something wrong there. Okay, well, let's come back to this. It's going to be really difficult then for a born-again believer to live a life of habitual sin, knowing that he's grieving the Spirit of God. Friends, nobody's been better to you than God. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I could have just stopped right there, but look what he says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, we've already talked about this a little bit, but let's just review what that means. Folks, what that means is that God has put His Spirit inside of you as a sign of ownership and as a down payment, as a promise of great things to come. Remember back in Ephesians 1, we looked at this, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, who, who you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, that word is a word that means down payment of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. 
Let me tell you, folks, that is commitment, okay? Not only has God loved you, and not only has He sent Christ to die a brutal death to take your sin debt away, but God has said, I am so committed to doing you good for all eternity. I am so committed to bringing about my promises in your life. I'm so committed, Ephesians 2, 7 says, to... to to lavishing upon you riches for all eternity, that I'm going to put my spirit inside of you as a promise, as a down payment, as a reminder, as a seal, man, that this stuff is coming. You know what it means that the spirit of God lives in you? That means, man, good things are coming to your life. See, it's like an engagement ring. You know what an engagement ring means? You know, when I gave him an engagement ring, he said, honey, there's going to be a wedding, okay? There's going to be a wedding, and we're going to have cake, you know? And, and, and there's going to be there's gonna be a wedding ring, and there's we're going to have our families in. We're going to go on a honeymoon. We're going to Pagosa Springs, honey. I mean, good things are coming, okay? That, that's what that meant. And in the same way, when God puts his Holy Spirit in us, man, let this be encouraging. Maybe you're here today, and, you're, man, you're just at a discouraging point in your life. You're, you're, you're kind of despairing over stuff. Let me tell you, you know what the Holy Spirit inside of you means? Man, a truckload, a train, a, there's not a, a barge, I don't know. There's good things are coming in your life. God's got those. And he's put his spirit in there as, as the promise of that. He, he's saying, look, I've only begun to bless you. There's so much more. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, we are his beloved children. Chapter 5, verse 2 says that as Christ has loved us, he has given himself for us. Folks, in view of what God has done, in view of his commitment to us, in view of what he's going to do forever, for eternity, in your future, will you wake up every day and grieve him? I I don't think you will. If you're a believer, I just don't think you will. I think right now in your spirit, you're saying, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to sin. God, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to talk that way. God, I don't want to be a liar. I, I don't want to be selfish with my money. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to live a, a bitter life. I don't want to be unforgiving. I don't want to live that way, God. Because of all those other reasons, but maybe most of all, because I don't want to grieve the spirit of God inside of me. Folks, sin's a big deal. It's a big deal in the heart of a believer. It's a big deal to be bitter. It's a big deal to be unforgiving. It's a big deal to, to tear people down with your words. It's a big deal to slander. It's a big deal to all these sins we've been talking about. Those are big deals. Sexual morality next week, that's a big deal. And folks, if, if we love God, we're not going to do that over and over again. Instead of grieving God, you know what I would say the opposite of, of that is? Just from this passage, you know, he said, well, make God happy. Okay. Let me tell you, God's already happy. First of all. Okay. Um, God, God's infinitely joyful. But I, I think, I think a better way to look at that is as we move through this, I think chapter five, verse one is, is the opposite of grieving him. Okay. I think when we put on the new man, which by the way, we learned back in, uh, where was it? Um, uh, verse 24, the new man is creating the image and likeness of God. When we put on the new man, you know what we're doing? Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, I think that's the opposite of grieving. I think verse 30 is saying, Look, don't live in sin. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And it moves right in chapter 5. It says, Therefore, therefore is a key word there. Therefore, be imitators of God. <laughs> imitators of God. You know, imitation, you've heard this before. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Isn't that right? 
Uh, Michelle picked a, a, a background for us. We got, we got a little boy there. Man, he, just, he wants to be just like dad. You know, he wants to wear a hat like dad, golf clothes like dad. He wants to, he wants to swing like dad. He wants to talk like dad. You, you know why? He, he really thinks his dad is awesome. I mean, that's what that means, isn't it? I mean, that's what imitation means. Man, our world is full of imitation. You know, we, we, we dress like people, you know, because we, we, we think that's cool or that, that, that's neat or that's successful, that's trendy. We, 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 we talk like them. We work like them. We imitate those who we think are valuable and worthwhile. I mean, imitation is part of our life. When I first started riding bikes with uh, Dr. Kirkendall, he, he took off his helmet one day and he looked like he had like a, a pair of underwear on his head is what it looked like to me. You know, it has this waistband thing and it's kind of this, um, this cloth you know, thing. And I mean, it's like, it looks like an underwear waist man to me. And, and, you know, and I just remember thinking, gosh, that's kind of stupid, you know? <laughs> and, but I didn't say anything to him. I didn't know him very well then. And so I kind of held back, you know, and, uh, I was riding over, uh, to actually to his house the other night. I had to bring him some as I got on my bike. It was late in the evening. It was hot. And man, sweat's just pouring in my eyes, you know, all the way over there. It's burning, burning, burning. I, I got over there and I said, Man, show me that underwear thing you wear on your head. You know, where do you get those, okay? When you imitate someone, you're saying, you know what? You may know something. You know what? You, you may have something there. That may be a good idea. You know, how, how can I get one of those? How can I act like that? I've watched you, and that seems to work for you, and, and that seems to be successful, and that seems to be valuable. And so, I'd, I mean, that's what we do when we imitate people, isn't it? I, I mean, we're saying, look, that looks like a wise thing. That looks like a good thing. I mean, imitation is saying something about that, that person whom we imitate. We're saying, look, you're, you're good. You're smart. You're wise. You're powerful. You're strong, whatever it is. And that's why I want to be like you. Imitation really is kind of a form of worship in, in a sense, isn't it? I mean, we've got, we've got to be careful there. But so, so let me ask you. Let's just take verse 32, okay? We'll just take that as our example. Do we imitate God in the way that he forgives Okay, let's take forgiveness. Okay, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Why forgive? Why if someone, someone hurts you, man, someone does something underhanded, mean. Maybe they're, maybe they're another believer. Maybe they're in your family. Man, they hurt you. Why should you forgive them? Look at the, look at the last part. As God in Christ forgave you. All right, what are we going to do? How does, God, how does God treat people that offend him? Well, he forgives them. You, you're example A, aren't you? Exhibit A. Okay, and so, so we come to a crisis here. Are we going to be like God or not? Okay, now, now if, we, if we are like God, if we do forgive, what are we saying about God? What we're saying, God, man, I've watched you. I see how, how you handle offenses. And man, God, you're You're awesome. I see how you forgive people and I see how you pay the price for their sin. And God, I, I see what you did on the cross. And, and God, I, I see how you handle that. And man, God, you're incredible. I want to be like you. I want to do that. And here's an opportunity, God. Someone just someone just, 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 just picked at me or someone just said something to me. And so, man, God, I want to be like you. I want to imitate you. We're saying very loudly to God. Man, God, will you handle things? Man, that's cool. You're awesome. You're good. You're admirable. Okay, but what, what, about, what about when we won't do that? What about when you, you got someone who claims to be a Christian, and yet when, man, someone hurts them? Uh-uh. 
you're going to pay. I'm going to hold it against you. I'm not forgiving you. I may be cordial to you, but you're out, buddy. And I'm justified in doing it. Okay, now what, what are we saying there? Literally, what, what we're saying isn't very loudly to God. Man, God, the way you handle things, that's stupid. That's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pay for their sins. God, that's, that's chicken, God. That's, that's small, God. That, yes or no? Are we saying that? We are. He said, no, I'm not saying well, How are you not saying that? He said, well, that's okay for you, God, but it's not okay for me. No, that doesn't work, does it? We're, we're saying, God, I think there's a better way. God, I'm, I'm going to imitate, I'm gonna imitate uh, not you, but Rambo or Jason Bourne or uh, James Bond. That, that's what I'm going to do. Those guys, they, they, know how to, they, know how to, they know how to handle a grudge. Folks, there's no one who handles life better than God. You believe that? <laughs> there's no one that handles life better than God. Imitate him. Imitate him. What does that look like? Well, verse 31. Let's come back up here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Again, we're just looking at one kind of slice of life here. Kind of offenses against you. uh, Hurt relationships. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. What's he saying? He said, if you're going to imitate God, then put away bitterness. Put away that smoldering resentment inside of you. Put away that replaying of the tape over and over again of the offense. Put away wrath. What's wrath? It's blowing up at somebody. Put, it, put away anger. Okay, we know what anger is. Clamor, losing control, shouting someone down. Put away slander. Put away that innocent that we want to go talk about the person that hurt us. We want everybody to know how bad that person is. Put away malice. Malice is wishing harm on somebody. Folks, having those things in your heart grieves the Holy Spirit. But when we imitate God, what's that look like? Verse 32, again, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How did God forgive us? Well, He took the punishment for our sin. He refused His right of retaliation. He doesn't bring up our sin. Isn't that cool that God does not bring our sins back up? Isn't that great? Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, He's taken away our transgressions. You know what else God does, though? Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Oh, man, here's the first indication. Let me just say this. Part of what Ephesians 4 is teaching us, this key principle is, you can't just take these bad things out of your life and do nothing. You know what you got to do? You got to put these good things in your life. Okay? So in other words, if you're going to be successful at forgiving, and here, here's where we may go wrong sometimes. We may say, man, I've tried to forgive and I've tried to forgive. You know, I just can't do it. I, I'll stay forgiven. It just, you, you, you know what's got to be cultivated in you? A couple things. Tenderheartedness and kindness toward that person. Isn't that what that's saying? Verse 31 or 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. That's part of how God forgives us. He, he cultivates a tender heart toward us. What does it mean to be tenderhearted? It, it means that, that you, you, you're pained easily, okay? So, so in other words, when, when someone, someone hurts, it doesn't take much for you to hurt as well. That's what it means to be tenderhearted. What, what does it mean to, to give kindness? Man, Kindness kindles the right kind of heart and emotions toward others. You know what I found? If, you, if you're having trouble forgiving somebody, you know one of, the, one of the best ways to get your heart where it needs to be toward that person is to just kindness is practical deeds of, of meeting a need. And, and if you'll just be kind to that person, 
If you'll, if you'll do a practical good deed toward them, a lot of times that will kindle in your heart a tenderness, a forgiving spirit. May you remember David and Mephibosheth? There's a great story in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 9. And uh, uh, Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson, uh, Jonathan's son. And uh, they're, the, they're the enemy. Their family, the whole family is the enemy of King David, okay? But instead of treating them as an enemy, David not only forgives them, okay? Now, what does that mean? That means he's not going to put Mephibosheth to death, okay? Now he forgives him. But then he, he brings him from the wilderness into the palace. He sets him at his table. He says, you're going to live as one of my sons. Not only are you going to live as one of my sons, you're going to eat at my table. But I'm going to give you all the land of your father. And I'm going to give you a servant to work all the land so that you don't have to do anything but sit here in the world house and be my son forever. That's kindness, isn't it? Folks, that's what God does to us. What, what takes bitterness and anger and wrath's place? It's It's kindness. You know, a lot of times I think we make the mistake of saying, well, I'm going to forgive that person, but they're out of my life. I mean, I, I don't have time to unpack all the things of, you know, I, if, if somebody rips you off on, on selling you a car and deceives you, I'm not saying go buy your next five cars from them. You know, I mean, there's, there's an element of wisdom. But what we're really talking about is the heart, aren't we? That's what we're talking about, your heart toward that person. And a lot of times we make the mistake of saying, well, I'm going to forgive, but... By forgiving, what that means is I'm, I'm not going to punch him in the face. I'm just, I'm just going to ignore him. I just don't know that that works real well. How does that work for you? Is your heart really where it needs to be toward him? I don't know about you, but for my heart to be where it needs to be, I need to take some steps of, of proactive kindness in, in their life. And, and what I've found is that, that kick starts my heart to be where it needs to be. You see, I can't do that. I say, you got the Holy Spirit in you? Do you? If you do, you can, can't you? I mean, amen? You can. The Spirit of God will give you the power to live the way that God wants you to live. Man, if you're grieving the Holy Spirit, if you look at your life today and you, you say, man, I know, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, God's taken away my sin, and the Spirit of God lives in me, don't grieve your Father. Don't live in a way that grieves the Spirit of God. How do you not do that? You do that by imitating him. That, that's what delights the heart of God is when we look at God and we say, man, God, I see how you treat people and I see how, how you love people and I see how you treated me. I want to be that way. You're holy. I want to be holy. <laughs> you're righteous. I want to be righteous. I want to be like you because you're good and there's nobody better than you. Father, I pray that you would enable us today by the power of your Holy Spirit to be imitators of you. Father, I pray that you would help us to put off unrighteousness, to put off sin, to put off malice and bitterness and anger and slander and, and uh, immorality and unholiness. And God, help us to put on, to put on the characteristics of Christ. God, make us like you. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.